This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? It is good to be in church, isn't it? I am uh, I'm feeling it this morning. I'm feeling full of energy, enthusiasm, and I felt that in our worship together as well. You know, I felt that as a community, as a church together, that we're, uh, we're encountering the presence of God. You know, that, we, that there's faith in this room. Is the faith in the room? I'm, I'm hearing it. I'm seeing it. And uh, what I love as well is it's not just a buzz on a Sunday, but actually this community is full of people who are living out faith all over East Lancashire. You know, stories of people impacting and touching lives in our community, in our nation, in the nations. And so I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to be bringing the word this morning. Uh, we're going to be uh, continuing our series, Legacy of Faith. We've been talking about this idea of legacy. And we've been remembering that our faith stretches back to the ancients. That we've just, not just made this stuff up, have we? That our faith stretches back to the ancients. But our faith is still relevant today. It's real. It's alive. It is relevant for today. And that we've got something to pass on. That we've got something to say to our culture. We've got something to say to the next generation. You know, we've got something to say to East Lancashire. We have got something to pass on. That we receive something from the ancients. That that faith is real and alive and active. And that we have something to give. We have something to say. Don't you ever feel like, I've got nothing to say. I've got nothing to add to this conversation. Well, the church has got something to say. (laughs) The church has a voice. The church has got something it wants to communicate to culture, to communicate to East Lancashire, to communicate to the next generation. Uh, And today we're going to be looking at a group of northern lads. We're going to be looking at a group of northern lads that changed the world forever. They are ancient people. They're people that lived in the era of history that we now know as ancient. But they've actually got something to say to us today. Uh, And these northern lads, when you think of northern lads that changed the world forever, you may think of Lennon and McCartney. Or you may think of Noel and Liam. Or you may think of Gary and Nikki and Paul and Ryan. You might think of those northern lads that changed the world forever. We're not talking about those this morning. We're not talking about those. We're talking about these northern lads. They're going to come on the, up on the screen. You know them as the 12 disciples. And uh, just, just to uh, demyth anything, this isn't a picture of them. Okay? This wasn't a photograph taken at the time. This is like a, a Hollywood, I think this is a Netflix version of the Jesus story. Uh, so this, okay, these are people that live now. <laughs> depicting these ancient people. But this is an image of these northern lads, the 12 disciples. And this morning, we're going to be looking into their story and asking a really simple question. How did a group of northern lads change the world forever? How did a group of northerners... Now, I know there's some people in this room who are uh, not from these parts, but you've made your home in the north. You've made your home in the north, which is great. Or maybe you're just visiting. Maybe you're deciding whether you want to put down your roots in these parts. But our question this morning is, how did a group of people from the north change the world forever? And we're going to be looking at these 12 young men, the 12 disciples. And who were they? Well, let's read in Luke chapter 12. uh, Sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. 
This is the 12 disciples. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, which means sent. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So these were the twelve. Of the twelve, three, uh, six of the twelve were brothers. So six of the twelve were related to each other. Ten of the twelve were killed for their faith. So as their story progresses, ten of these twelve young men were killed for their faith. Three of those were crucified. Nine of the twelve were from a place in the north known as the Orthodox Triangle. And we're going to show you a map. Is this okay? We're getting like, this is history and geography mixed together. So this is a map of biblical Israel. It's still a real country now. Uh, but this is a map of biblical Israel. And you can see there in the north. I think that's the northwest. don't know about you, but I think that's the northwest. Uh, so in the northwest, uh, all the disciples came from the north. But nine of the 12, uh, you can see there on the map, you can see a bit of blue. That's the lake, the Lake Galilee, where Jesus did most of his ministry, or a lot of his ministry Lake Galilee region, nine of the 12 came from uh, within that region. I think the next slide shows you a little triangle. And this um, region was known as the Orthodox Triangle. Three tiny, tiny villages, Bethsaida, Chorazan, and Capernaum. Nine of the 12 came from this region. And this region was famous. People from this region were known, maybe like a town like Burnley or Blackburn, people from this region were known for their passion. They were known for their zeal. They were known for their enthusiasm. They were known for their religious fervor. They were known for their religious passion. So maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons why Jesus selected most of his disciples from this region. This Orthodox Triangle region was known for its passion. Are we known for our passion? I don't know. But the Orthodox Triangle, nine of the 12 came from that region. Four of the 12 were members of a nationalistic militant group like a separatist organization that were at war with the empire of Rome. Four of the 12 were part of this group. And all of them, all 12, were from up north. Come on. <laughs> so again, my question, how did a bunch of northerners change the world forever? We're going to investigate two more pieces of scripture. And I'm going to suggest some answers. I'm going to suggest some answers of what we can learn from these 12 disciples if we want to be part of a movement that changes the world forever. So uh, Matthew 4, let's go there. Matthew 4, 18 to 22. I've told you the name of, 12, of the 12 disciples. Now we're going to look at the beginning of their story. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. And the question I'm asking you is, how did these northerners change the world forever? Matthew 4, 18 to 22 says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, which we just showed you a minute ago, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or you might know the phrase, I will make you fishes of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, don't laugh, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So this is the beginning of the story. You've heard the names of the twelve, but this is how four of the twelve, two sets of brothers, began their journey of being disciples of Jesus, being followers of Jesus. And here's my my first thought. How did a group of northerners change the world forever? Here's my first thought. They believed what Jesus believed about them. Here's my first thought. That they believed what Jesus believed about them. Let me explain. Jesus calls them. He chooses them. And by doing this, he turns a system upside down. He chooses them. He calls them to come and follow him and be their disciple. By doing this, he turns a system upside down. In this culture, a rabbi is like a Premier League footballer. He's like a celebrity. As in, at primary school, every boy wants to be a Premier League footballer. Well, that was my experience. That's what we all wanted to do. That's what we all wanted to be. That was the lifestyle that we wanted to live. For a Jewish boy growing up in this culture... Everybody wants to be a rabbi. Everybody wants to be a disciple of a rabbi. That's what we're all going for. That's what we want to be a part of. And there was a system to get there. There was a system of education. So we go, we're doing a bit of history now. Is that okay? We've done some geography, and now we're going to do some history. So this is the education system that every Jewish boy had to go through if they wanted to become a rabbi, which was the dream. So the first school, the first level of the Jewish education system was called Bet Sefer. And Bet simply means house of. You've heard of the most famous uh, Bet, Bethlehem, which means house of bread. So every time you see in the Bible the word Bet, it means house of. And so the first, the first level of education was Bet Sefer, the house of the book. And in this period of learning, these children, these boys, aged 6 to 10, so if you're a parent, or if you were ever aged 6 to 10, or if you ever met a boy aged 6 to 10, think about this. In this period of learning, they had to learn the first five books of the Old Testament. So if you've got a Bible, I've got my Bible here. So it's Genesis through to Deuteronomy. So that's it doesn't actually look massively thick, but they learn every word. Well, that was the goal. Genesis all the way through to Deuteronomy. So if you've got your Bible, maybe just have a look at that. Maybe have a think. How many? I know the first line. <laughs> In the beginning, God. I've got that one. But they learned the whole book. Or oh, that was the goal. To learn all the way from Genesis to Deuteronomy. They learned the whole thing. And that was the goal of learning in the first school. Betsefer, the house of the book. They learned the book. That was the goal, to learn the book. Then if they were good enough, they would progress, and they'd progress to the second school of learning, which is called Bet Talmud, and it means house of learning. So this is for boys aged 10 to 14. And at this stage, they learned the whole Old Testament, which is that. <laughs> so all the way from Genesis through to Malachi. They learn the whole book. 
They just learn it off by heart. Not only that, not only do they learn it, and yeah, they learn it by singing. That was their routine. That's how they learned the book, by singing the book to each other. Not only did they learn the whole book, the whole Old Testament, they also uh, began to familiarize themselves with all the different arguments that different scholars would make, all the different ideas and concepts and thoughts and theories that different scholars made. These 10 to 14-year-olds not only learned the whole Old Testament, but they learned all these different arguments that all these learned scholars were making. Now, the age of 14, if they were deemed not good enough, they'd have just a simple instruction. I'm sorry, you've not made the grade. Go and follow your father's business. I'm sorry, you're not good enough. Just go and follow your family trade. And for the boys that were good enough, the boys that learned enough, were clever enough, they got to enter the third level of education, which is called Beit Midrash, and it means house of study. So this is for boys 14 plus. This is boot camp. You know, think X Factor. This is boot camp. They have made it to Judge's house. You know, they're now face to face with the panel. And they now get to apply to become a, a, not just a student, but a disciple of one of these famous rabbis. They've made it. They've done their audition. They've applied uh, to be in that final category. And they've been told, you are good enough. And they've made it all the way through to become a student of a rabbi, to become, sorry, a disciple of a rabbi. And at some point, if they keep on progressing, at some point, they may get to be a rabbi themselves. Now, let's go back to Matthew 4. Remember, remember where Jesus was. Remember what he was doing. And remember what the boys were doing, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. What, what were they doing? What were James and John and Simon and Andrew doing? They were fishing. And who with? Who were James and John fishing with? Their dad, now he's got this uh, fantastic name, Zebedee, but they're fishing with their dad. So at some point, somewhere in the Jewish education system, somebody would have eyeballed Peter or James or John or Andrew, and they would have said, you, you're not good enough. You know, you've, you've done well, but you've not made the grade. You're not clever enough. You're not, you're not good enough to continue in this process. You will not be a disciple of a rabbi. Go and follow your father's business. So Jesus, the great rabbi, the great teacher, the great leader, the Messiah, actually God himself, is walking alongside the coast. He's walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees something in these young men. And he says, you come and follow me. You follow me. You be my disciple. I see something in you. And this morning, I want to speak to some of you who maybe you've believed a whole bunch of untruths, a whole bunch of lies. Maybe your whole life has kind of been orientated around a lie that you believed, maybe even from childhood. Now, these young men were told by a system that they weren't good enough, that they were never going to be good enough, that they weren't going to amount to anything. One reason I believe that they went on to change the world, this group of northerners went on to change the world, is that they believed what Jesus believed about them. They believed what Jesus believed about them. So what does Jesus believe about you? Well, here's the first thing that I believe that Jesus believes about you. I believe that he chooses you. Now, all of these I can back up in the Bible, but, and you can come to me for biblical references if you want after, but I believe that Jesus chooses you. That as he's walking alongside the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon, 
who goes on to be called uh, Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John. He chooses them. But I also believe this morning that God would look into your eye and say, I choose you. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to be one of my followers. I want you to be one of my disciples. I choose you. I also believe Jesus says this, I know you. <laughs> so you might think, okay, you choose me, but you don't even know me. Like what if you've seen something, but it's not there. No, the Bible tells us really clearly that God knows you. That God knows you intimately. He knows the hair in your head. For some of us, that's maybe a bigger count than others. But he knows the hair on your head. He knows your name. The Bible says this incredible thing. It says that your name's written on his hand. Not as a reminder, but he knows you. God knows you, and he still chooses you. God knows you, all your weaknesses, all your history, all your mistakes, all your past, and he chooses you. He chooses you, and he knows you. The Bible also says that he calls you. <laughs> he calls you. I love this image. Jesus is walking alongside the shore, and he calls them. He knows them by name, and he calls them. God calls you. God loves you. The Bible makes this really clear too. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, wherever your story is full of, God loves you. These young men went on to change the world forever. Why? Because they believed something about what Jesus believed about them. They knew that they were loved by the God who said, let there be. <laughs> let there be light. They knew that they were loved by that God. They were loved. They were purposed. One of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible in Ephesians 2 verse 10, tells us that you are purposed by God, that you're here to fulfill something that God wants you to do. No one's here to make up the numbers. <laughs> no one's here just because you're here. You're here because God has things for you to do. God has purposes for you to fulfill. He has missions for you to go and he has tasks for you to do. He has an agenda for your life. God has a purpose for you. And the last thing I want to say about what Jesus believes about you is that he created you. So he doesn't just know you. It's not like you're here and God knows you. Actually, the Bible says that even before the universe began, God was thinking about you, that God created you. Maybe for some of us, actually believing some of those things will help us to go and change the world forever. These young men believed what Jesus believed about them. Not that they were a failure because they'd failed. they had failed in a system. Anyone else in this room ever failed anything? Yeah. So we could all wear that badge of, I'm a failure, and I've got proof, you know. I have got proof that I'm a failure, because I have failed multiple times. And these young men had failed in one system. But here comes the rabbi. You know, here comes the master. Actually, it's God himself is saying, I choose you. They believed what Jesus believed about them. That's my first thought this morning. And I hope that helps some of us. <laughs> Here's my second thought. How did a group of northerners change the world forever? Any northerners want to change the world forever? <laughs> How did a group of northerners change the world forever? Number two. Well, they received something that they then passed on. We've been talking about this idea quite a bit, but they received something that they passed on. In Matthew 28, 16 to 20, we call it the Great Commission. They received something that they passed on. Let's read Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples, which is interesting. I, I find that verse so interesting. One of the 12 has taken his own life because he betrayed Jesus. And he took his own life. 
And I kind of have this image of 11 young men almost like limping to the finish line, what they think is the finish line. One of their team has taken his own life. Their, their lives are in threat and danger. They've seen their master crucified. Now he's raised again from the dead. Their heads are spinning. And they come to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We're going to reflect on that in a minute. Some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I just want us to think about one of these 11 disciples. His name is Thomas. And if you've heard of Thomas, his actual nickname in the Bible is Didymus, which means the twin. But you know him as the doubter. Now, Judas has become synonymous with betrayal, and Thomas has become synonymous with doubt, which is a bit unfair, actually. He has this moment of doubt, but they all doubted. Actually, they all had moments of doubt. But Thomas has become synonymous with doubt. And then he becomes convinced. He's there in Matthew 28 when Jesus says, now go, pass this on. I've received something from the Father. I'm passing that on to you. Now you go and pass this on. You go and pass this on. That's how this legacy of faith has continued from 12 young men to 120 believers to now 2 billion believers worldwide. It's it's the most incredible phenomenon in human history, how this group of northerners from Israel started something that's now 2 billion people worldwide. But they passed it on. So let's, let's think about Thomas. Thomas. Uh, I want to think about Thomas because uh, I've, never, I've never been to Israel where the disciples were born and lived in and grew up. And then from Matthew 28, they all go to different parts of the world and take the, the gospel, the good news story of Jesus to different parts of the world. One of the places that Thomas ended up was in southern India. And I had the privilege of actually walking in the footsteps of Thomas. I'd never done anything like that before in my life. But I was in Chennai visiting uh, Pays in India. And they told me, oh, this is the city that Thomas was killed in. This is the city that Thomas lived, preached, ministered in. And then at the, uh, in AD 72, he was killed uh, for his faith. Thomas lived there for 20 years. Thomas was the guy that took Christianity, took the message of Jesus to India in AD 52. Now, again, that's a bit of history, and why am I saying that? Well, for me, that's incredible. The gospel's been in India longer than it's been in lots of parts of Europe, certainly North America, and lots of parts of Europe. Uh, and Europe kind of became the center of Christianity. But actually, Thomas took it to India in AD 52. Now in India, there's 27 million uh, people who are Christians. But the first Christians were in AD 52, when Thomas the Doubter took what he received from Jesus and passed it on uh, in this nation that we now know as India. I think there's going to be a picture on the screen of uh, St. Thomas Mount. It's, a, it's an odd place. I remember I was there with uh, the guys that lead Pays India, and we wanted to pray. We were like having this moment. Now, we're disciples making disciples and here we are in the city of one of the disciples and we were like let's pray together and then someone like a tour guide or whatever came over and said you can't pray here <laughs> are you serious <laughs> this is where Thomas the disciple uh, no you have to pray in that building anyway <laughs> the city of the disciple 
uh, Chennai, southern India. And I love that this church has contributed to the discipleship of a young man. I think his picture is going to come up on the screen, and I love this picture because that is, that is Indian Clement. <laughs> uh, Clement then moved to the UK. Clement's the tallest one. Uh, Crispin lived in Pendle for a few years, and Emmanuel uh, lived in different parts of the UK. They came here as missionaries, and Clement was part of this church for two years, was discipled here, grew here, and went back a different Clement. It, looked, it definitely looked different. He went back as a different Clement. And now he's in the same city. So the city where Thomas brought the Christian faith in AD 52, passed on that faith, 27 million Christians now live in that country. There are still people there who are receiving this and they're passing it on. I'm seeing Clement regularly when he's posting stories on social media. I'm seeing Clement speak to young people of a non-Christian background, going to schools in their community, passing on the faith, passing on what he has received. Here's my, here's my simple question, thinking about Thomas, thinking about what we've received and what we're passing on. Here's my simple questions. Who are you passing your faith on to? Who, who are you passing on your faith? I'm so glad Thomas passed on the faith to the nation of India. <laughs> I'm so glad he did that. And I'm so glad those 11 young men actually took what they received from Jesus and they passed it on. Who are you passing your faith on to? Who are you investing into? Who are you helping to grow? Who are you bringing Jesus to? Now, Jesus is already there, you know. But I love this idea that in AD 52, no one had heard the name Jesus in that nation until Thomas turns up and he starts to talk about the God who is man. The man who is God. He starts talking to people about this new idea, about salvation, about the gospel story, and it spreads across that nation. Maybe there's people in your world who just don't know the Jesus story. Maybe they think they know it. Maybe they went to a, a primary school where Jesus was talked about, but maybe they don't know the power of the Jesus story. Who are you bringing Jesus to? Who are you bringing the story of Jesus to, the message of Jesus to? So my second idea of how a group of northerners can change the world forever is, is simply that they pass it on. It's that they pass it on. Here's my third idea. It's got a couple more. Here's my third idea. And this, um, this is our purpose statement as Life Church. Life Church exists, impact our neighbors, our nation, and the nations with the good news about Jesus, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. These young men... Some of them doubted, Matthew 28, 17. Some of them doubted, reality check. All of them had moments of doubt. All of them had moments of fear and insecurity and inadequacy. All of them had doubt. Peter, maybe the most famous of the disciples, he even denied that he knew Jesus. He went through this moment of, I don't even know this man. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't even know this man. Peter then went on to preach on the day of Pentecost when the church was born. Thousands came to Christ. He was one of the early leaders of the, of the church. But Peter had a moment of doubt. But he went on this journey of being somebody that doubted to being someone that was sold out, was a fully devoted follower of Christ. Two, two ideas from this. Number one, being devoted to Christ you know, I grew up in church. I've been in church my whole life, and I've always believed in God. I always liked the Jesus story. But at 15 years old, that's when I decided, actually, my life is for Christ. I want to live for Jesus. For me to live is Christ. He is the goal of my faith. 
He's the one that I live for. I'm proud to say that I love Jesus. My Twitter feed even says it. You know, I love Jesus. And not just in some kind of uh, like romantic notion, or whatever. No, I, I would give my life for Jesus. I lay my life down for Jesus. He is my life. He is my all. He's my everything. And I encourage you this morning as we're talking about legacy of faith and the vision of Life Church that I really want to encourage you to be people that say, I, my devotion is for Jesus. My life is for Jesus. And, and how do we, well, how do we do that? Well, maybe for some of us, it's remembering when we first became Christians. Maybe you look back at when you first became a Christian and you were like, I was, I was the front row, hands lifted. I was going for it. I was loving my Bible. Why? Because it led me to Jesus. I was loving praying. Why? Because it was communicating with Jesus. And maybe you've got to a point where you're like, actually, I'm not as passionate as I was, but I want to be. I want to speak to those people in this room who are like, I want to be. I want to be devoted to Christ. And my simple, uh, my simple encouragement to you is you can be. And actually, for a lot of us, it starts with remembering. Remembering who Jesus is. Remembering how incredible Jesus is. Remembering maybe that first moment when you gave your life to Jesus. Devoted to Christ. And what about devoted to growth? Let's be a church that's devoted to Christ, but let's also be a church that's devoted to growing ourselves. When was the last time you did something for the first time? <laughs> Stretching yourself. Thomas, this boy from northern Israel, who says, I'll go to India. Well, that's different. <laughs> that's stretching yourself. You know, what, what about you? What's something where you're like, I just need to stretch myself. I need to volunteer for this. I need to get involved in this. I need to give myself for this. I need to stretch myself. That's how we grow. We grow by letting people speak into our life. Being a part of a life group is one of the, the best growing things that you can do because you're putting yourself in a place where you're letting other people speak into your life, people that can be your peers, you know, people that can be a mentor or a disciple or a coach to you. Who are you letting speak into your life? Challenge yourself. Maybe a great little piece of work for you to do today is to say, okay, here's one thing I want to do different. Here's one challenge in order to grow myself. Let's be devoted to Christ. But let's also be devoted to growth. So my three ideas so far, and we're about to come to the fourth and the final one. My three ideas so far, how do a bunch of northerners change the world forever? Number one, they believe what Jesus believes about them. Number two, they pass on what they've received. And number three, they become fully devoted followers of Christ. They devote themselves to Christ, and they devote themselves to growth. Uh, and here's, here's the last thing I want to say, is that these young men, well, they, they took a stand. They separated themselves. I love uh, verse 22, Matthew 4. Jesus says, come follow me. And the Bible says, immediately, they left their nets. They made this, they had this defining moment in their life where they took a stand, where they said, we need to respond to this voice. <laughs> we need to go. They separated themselves. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.